Hey, hey, homesteaders, and welcome to the TLC Mini Farm Podcast, where we discuss all things related to urban homesteading. I am your host, Tawny Fan. On today's episode, we are going to learn all about melons, from growing tips to discussing different varieties that are out there. Our special guest will be dropping some melon knowledge so we can grow amazing melons like she does. She is also going to share a little bit about her journey with selling her garden goodies in her community. Without further ado, let me welcome our guest and my Instagram friend from Colorful World Acreage and joining me from the Lone Star State. Hello and welcome, Ruth. Hi, Tawny. Thank you for having me. How are you today? I'm doing well. Um, Just finished some chores outside. That's about it. That sounds like a a typical day on a homestead. Lots of chores. Yes. How are you today? I'm good. I am so excited to have you on our podcast today. Uh, You are one of the first people that I thought of to invite as a guest when I was thinking about experts in different areas. And melons was one of the things that I know you share a lot of information about on your Instagram page. So I'm so happy you uh, agreed to join me on our show. Thank you for having me. I'm a little nervous, but I think I should be okay. Let's hope. Yeah, yeah, you got this. Okay, so why don't you share with us a little bit about your homestead or your farmstead and just kind of how you got started with gardening? Okay, so I've been uh, gardening for seven years, eight years, kind of. Um, My husband, when I was uh, pregnant with our daughter, I mentioned to him, hey, I want to grow our own vegetables. So he tilled up the ground in our urban house area, you know, and he planted some peppers and tomatoes because I couldn't do it then. So he did it for me. And so the first thing we got was just one tomato, one tomato. So the next year I was like, I still want to garden. I had a one-year-old then. And so he built me a cute little urban U-shape raised bed. And um, I did my research that whole year before um, planting anything. So I grew tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers. Um, I did melon, I did a mini melon. I didn't do like the huge melons that I I do now. And I did sweet peas, just did things that I knew my kids would eat. Um, And then from then uh, we had the opportunity to move on to where we're located right now in Texas which I live in 8B, Texas, on the eastern side of the state, closer to Louisiana. So when we moved here, I couldn't really plant that year because, you know, the transitioning from one home to the next was just too much. So I said, I'm going to grow something. So I went to an estate sale and bought these huge planters, and I grew uh, tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, a watermelon, and then some flowers. Um, And so from then on, um, the next year, um, my husband um, prepared a new area where my garden beds are now. And I started with four garden beds and some of the ground tilled up. 
And from then I was like, well, I want to do a no dig kind of style garden, you know, just improve the soil health. And so he brought in uh, truckloads of compost. So that's, that was a year before I started my Instagram page. Like I've been gardening for a while and then I started my Instagram page and that year I grew moon and stars, which is my favorite melons. And I got obsessed with just growing melons that year from that one melon I grew. So that's where we are now. So moon and stars, that, that must've been a really good melon because it really got you so interested in growing everything else. Yeah, it was just so, I don't know. I, I think I sent you those seeds, the moon and star seeds. Did I send you those? You did in our first uh, swap that we did together, one-on-one swap. We, you did include those in there. So thank you. Yeah. The reason why I started with that, it's just so magical. When you see it growing in the garden, it just, to me, like a garden should be magical. And that is what the moon and stars means to me. Like, you know, it just adds this different beauty to your gardenscape, whatever you want to call it. But that's where I started with that one. Yeah. And for those who are not familiar with moon and stars, can you describe like visually why it might be called moon and stars? Yes. Uh, moon and stars is this, well, there's two kinds. They have the big oval moon and stars and the round kind. And I grow both now. Um, and they have yellow little specks that look like stars. And sometimes you get a huge circle on it that looks like a moon. Um, most of the time I just get the stars. Sometimes I get a little moon. So I call it the stars really. Um, and it was, I don't know, my kids just love growing it too. It's just, it's a fun melon to grow. Yeah, visually it's really cool. And I always am amazed at the different uh, names that people have come up with over the years because it's just so perfect. And yeah. uh, so it's just clever as well. So you started off with moon and stars and that kind of started your obsession then with growing melons. So what then in terms of varieties or types of melons, did you branch out and then really start experimenting and trying now that you have this tilled up in-ground garden space that where you can have lots of melons sprawling all over the place. So what types of melons and varieties did you then kind of expand to? So um, from Moon and Stars, I went to Charente melons. Um, well, the first year I did try um, Hale's Best, like your regular musk melon that you would see at the grocery store. And then from then, I decided to like that one and flavor-wise. It was just too bland for me. And then I moved on to sh the Charente melons, which are your European melons, your true cantaloupes. Um, and the first bite of that melon was amazing. Um, I also tried the Kanjari melon. And it was pretty good the first year. And it's a beautiful melon. It has, you know, this orange when it's ripe it's orange and it has, it looks like a little pumpkin. Um, but after trying that one and the Charente and um, honey melon, 
I love the honey melon. Um, I also love uh, the Kazakh melon that I introduced last year. I like a crisp, firm melon. I don't like a mushy melon. Um, so the Charentay, the Kazakh melon are perfect for that in flavor. Um, Kanjari can get kind of mushy. Um, so I'm, this year I'm not growing Kanjari at all. And the flavor's kind of bland. Okay, so I will say I've tried Charentay. And one of the things that's really appealing about that melon for me is because, again, I grow in a very small space is I love the fact that the melons are relatively small mm -hmm. and they can grow up either a stake or a trellis real easily. Um, and that gets them off the ground. But it's really easy to know when that melon is ripe because it puts off such a strong scent that allows you to know like it's it's ready. It's sweet. So I know what you mean when you're talking about the flavor. It's just, it has a nice intense sweetness to it. Yes. And yeah, like you said, it's, um, they're so easy to, and I actually grow those on a trellis. I grow them on a, uh, arch trellis, um, that I made, um, with a cattle panel and they look so pretty if you, they just dangle off the trellis and I, um, but you can, if you're worried about them dropping, you can um, use a hammock to tie them up. And that's what I normally do if I grow something on a trellis. It just makes it easier. Yeah, Which, like, a, like a little melon sling, right? Just gives yeah. it a little support. Yeah. Yeah, I joke. I call that a little melon bra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Melons yeah. need a bra. <laughs> melons <need> a bra. <laughs> All right. So let me ask you this then. What is the largest size melon you have grown in terms of weight? Because if I recall, I thought last summer I saw that you had to actually put a melon either on like, I don't know if it was like a sled or a wagon or something, but to bring it in from wherever it was growing. It was pretty uh, large. Yeah, that wasn't, um, we have a football size field behind our house and I grew some of my larger melons over there, my Jubilees. And they tend to get huge. Um, it was 37 pounds, 37.5 uh, pounds. And that's the largest ha I have grown so far. This year, my goal is to grow the, um, what is it? The Carolina, I forgot what, the Carolina, Carolina Cross. I think that's the correct thing. And they tend to grow huge melons, like really big, like 50 pounds and up. So, That's impressive. You can feed the whole neighborhood when you cut up in one of those yes. 37.5 pounds. Yeah, it was it was delicious. It was um, I took it camping with us. I take a lot of our produce camping and my husband thinks it's hilarious. He's like, we can buy produce at the grocery store. And I'm like, it's not homegrown. We're going to take this melon and eat it. It's um, not, not homegrown and probably doesn't taste as good. See, while you're over there thinking about growing even a bigger melon at uh, trying to get to 50 pounds, I'm over here looking at my seed packet and I have these ones called Icebox Watermelons Doll Babies. Oh, those are good too. Those are good. Yeah. Golden Midget. Oh, I grew that one last year. 
and petite yellow because I'm trying to find a smaller size melons that I can grow, whether it's a melon or a watermelon, uh, just so that I don't have one vine take over my whole growing space. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can, once you get melons, um, where you get like a, like maybe two to three melons to vine, you can actually cut that vine and kind of control it, you know, in that space area. I don't because I'm a wild gardener. I just let things go. So it looks like a jungle in my garden pretty much. Um, but you can do that. And I'll probably later on, I'll show people a video on that. Um, you can actually regrow melons too from that same vine. You just cut the vine, the leaves back and regrow those vines again, using a lot of nitrogen, which I use um, fish emulsion. So I feed it fish emulsion. It'll regrow new vines and set out new melons. Well, that's perfect. Cause I was going to ask you next, you know, so what are some melon growing tips then that you can share with us listeners so that we can grow a 37.5 pound <laughs> watermelon should we want to? So what are some tips that we should keep in mind? Um, uh, with melons, I think it's pretty, for me, it's pretty easy at this point. So the main tips I think would be plant when the soil is warm, like 65 and above. Um, um, and I direct seed and I start seedlings too. Also plant in full sun, melons love the sun. Um, and you gotta think about like watermelons initially and cantaloupes. Initially, watermelons, you know, the history of them, they come from Africa. That's where this seed started. So, you know, historians say that. So we're going to believe that, right? Um, so, and then cantaloupes, there's a fight. Uh, people don't really agree on it. Some people say it comes from Africa. Other people say it's come, it comes from portions of Asia. So they kind of have the same growing ability, cantaloupes and melons. I kind of grow them the same. I treat them the same. When it comes to harvesting, it's totally different, you know. But in terms of growing them, you need sun, you need warm soil, you need, in the beginning, when your melon seedlings are young, they need tons of nitrogen. They have to produce those big vines, those leafy green vines. And you, your goal is trying to get those those vines to be big and huge and beautiful. That's the goal. And once you see those, um, those uh, leaves growing and you see little male and female flowers, then you kind of stop with the nitrogen, but you keep on watering. Melons like a lot of water, lots of water. Um, and then those, and what I do, once I see the first, female flower and the first male flower, I hand pollinate. So I could save seeds for next year. So I hand pollinate and make sure that uh, melon gets pollinated and kind of cover it. Um, so bees don't cross pollinate. And then from then on, let it grow. And before I forget, I mentioned bees. Uh, for melons, you need bees. So make sure you grow flowers. Uh, make sure you have flowers. Um, anything, I grow zinnias, I grow sunflowers, 
Um, but mainly in the beginning, I had sunnias and sunflowers to pollinate. So, but now I have way more. So bees just pollinate everything for me. Like you don't want to go hand pollinating everything. It's, it's too time consuming. So that's another tip for grown melons is pollination. Um, make sure you get flowers and um, just keep, and once you, that melon forms and gets pollinated, you keep watering it and watering it. And once you see that your melon stopped growing, you stop all the watering, like only water as needed. You know, if you see like uh, the leaves are a little wilted and might need a little water, just, just water lightly. Um, for the watering, what I do is make sure I deep water, um, not at the surface, not on the leaves. I go down to the root and sometimes I make a little um, hole and I put up like, a, what's that called? A little pot with holes on the bottom and pour the water in there. So the water gets to where it needs to go, which is the roots. So is part of the, um, of course, watering just the soil is also to avoid issues potentially with powdery mildew? Because I do feel like sometimes with melons and zucchini, let's say, they tend to be more prone to powdery mildew and a lot of it is moisture on the leaf. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's what I try to avoid is the powdery mildew. I mean, when it rains, I can't avoid that, but when I garden and, and, and I water my own stuff, I do do that for powdery mildew. And last year I had a little issue, not too much because it gets really humid here. So, um, but in order to avoid that, that's, the best thing you could do. Don't water on the surface, on the leaves with anything, you know, your tomatoes, anything you grow, basically. Yeah. We're watering to get the soil wet and moist, not the leaves. Yes. So when you say you hand pollinate, what technique are you using? Do you use a Q-tip? Do you use a paintbrush? Do you just grab a flower and rub it against another flower? Because I've seen it all. <laughs> what's the, what's the, that you use? I use just grab a flower, like take away the little petals and kind of expose, you know, the parts and just put them together. <laughs> I yes. Mean, okay. I don't, hey, uh, was it paintbrush or a toothpick? Not a toothpick, uh, Q-tip around. So half of the time, I don't have time to run back and forth. So yeah, I do that with my hands. Yeah. So then, so you talked about nitrogen early on. And I'm taking notes here because I will tell you, I want to be successful. I <laughs> did plant out some melons yesterday, um, some seedlings of which grew from seeds that you sent me, which is the Kazakh melon. Um, I also have one that I planted uh, in the garden yesterday. They're transplants. It's called alicotti melon. But anyways, so they did get a dose of some fish emulsion this morning just to make sure we're starting off right. But is there anything else that you add during the growing process or season um, once the melons start to form or you see that you've got baby melons on the vines? Um, to be honest, Tawny, like I know like if you have problems with like um, phosphorus or potassium, you can do a bone mill you know, so you can, uh, so the melons would grow and they won't get boss, uh, blossom and rot because that happens too, you know, 
just like squash or your cucumbers, um, which they fall in the same family. Um, but I, other than, I don't really add anything. I grow in all organic compost. Like my compost is pretty well balanced where I don't have to go back and, um, you know, amend the soil. But if I do need to amend the soil, I add a little like um, bone meal um, to the soil. But I haven't had that problem um, in the past probably five years. Even the, my melons I grow out in the field, I don't do anything to those melons. I just pretty much plant the seed, let the water come. I don't water them. I just let them nature take its course. And that's where I grew that 37 pounder too. Like in our backfield, that soil's pretty fertile. So for the past years, we had um, cover crops, kind of add nutrients to that soil. So you can pretty much grow anything out there and it will grow. Like it's amazing soil, even though on the surface, it doesn't look like it. Um, but for my personal garden over here, I grow it in uh, organic compost. And that's all I do besides the fish emulsion. All right. So you have a low maintenance melon growing area, which is perfect. So maybe on my end, I'm giving it too much TLC, <laughs> too much babying. I don't know. It might be like, if you know, your soil is like pretty good, then just let it take its course. I know for you, you have a lot of pollinators. You do a really good job of incorporating the bees and, you know, flowers. I don't, but I don't think you would have a problem. It's just sometimes maybe people give it too much TLC, like, and certain ones don't get me wrong. I do, especially my new melons, because sometimes my goal is not to produce a bunch of me those melons. My goal is to produce at least one to three melons so I can taste the flavor before I continue growing them, you know, because it might be like a really sucky melon. Like, right. Be you, you don't want to dedicate a large growing space to something that's not going to taste good. So you do like a trial run then with yeah. any variety. Yes, that's what I do. I do a trial run for new varieties. And I have several this year that I will grow as well. So I was kind of thinking about you had mentioned earlier that for the growing part, you treat watermelons and melons pretty much the same. But when it comes to harvesting, it's a little different. How do you differentiate when's the right time to harvest <laughs> a watermelon or a melon? Okay, so like for example your musk melons like your um I'm trying to think like your uh hail's best um your old time tennessee melons um your ambrosia melons those kinds of melons you would have to wait until the melon falls off the stem you know it just falls it turns colors you smell it it falls off you know you don't have to detach it for your Charentay melons, um, you have to cut off that vine. And, you know, if you look at your Charentay melon, they have tendrils that turn brown too. Um, so you got to take note of that. If the tendrils turning brown and the melon smell, then you just cut it off the vine. And for your watermelons, this is where it gets tricky for people because watermelons, you know, they 
once you cut them off that vine, they will no longer ripen. But for your musk melons and your cantaloupes and your rock melons, they will continue to ripen on the counter if you cut them a little too early. And that's okay to do too. You can do those, you can cut them a little early because sometimes animals want your melons, you know, they're delicious. So um, I know a lot of people that have problems with squirrels or raccoons or possums, I guess. I don't really have possums here, but I know I had a problem with Bigfoot <laughs> stealing <laughs> a couple of my melons maybe three years ago. I joke around, this area is known for having Bigfoot sightings. Um, so I kind of kid around and make fun of it, you know, but so for watermelons, once you cut it, it won't ripen. So you either get a nice ripe watermelon or you don't. Uh, so for harvesting watermelons, you got to keep things in mind for all melons days till maturity. Like you, so when did you plant your melon? Okay. So I planted my melons, what I'm just, you know, talking here. So I planted my melons today. So one of my melons takes only 70 days to grow. So you kind of got to keep track of that, right? 70 days from now. Um, and then you start looking for those ripening signs to your watermelon or your melon stop growing. Um, if your watermelon stopped growing, has a tendril closest to the stem, is it completely dried out? By dried out, I mean like completely brown, like kind of like shriveling a little bit. Um, has the underbelly kind of changed? And all watermelons have a different underbelly tone. Like for my orange glow, it's more of a dark yellow. For my Jubilees, I noticed when it's laying on the ground, it's more of a pale yellow. And I, you know, even sometimes like with new melons, I did um, have to get some help. Because I have a friend who, um, who has a father-in-law that is specialized. He has specialized in the past with Jubilee. And Jubilee, I grew... This was my second year. I grew it like, um, I skipped a year. And some of those melons I grew in the field rotted because I didn't know I had them there. They were so well hidden. I was so mad at myself. Um, but with Jubilees, yeah, like I was saying, they, they have like a pale yellow underbelly. And I didn't want to cut it until I knew for certain that melon was right. I was that 37.5 pounder. Um, so if you touch the surface also of a melon, it can't be smooth. These are things that work for me. Like um, it has to be kind of like bumpy. There has to be not, not has to be, but sometimes like you notice like signs of like, like insects kind of biting at the melon, you know? They want to get, they smell something. I think they smell something we can't on watermelons. Little scratches sometimes um, develop. So with that, days to maturity, underbelly, um, the melon stops growing, the tendril being dried out. I wait maybe two or three days until I harvest and then I harvest because I do want a sweet, ripe, crisp melon. And the ones I did harvest, actually, I sold a couple of my melons last year too. 
And the ones I did sell, sell to customers, they were like, wow, like they were, they're like, we want more melons for next year. So I don't know if I'm going to supply as much as I did, but we'll see. We'll see. You never know each year, you know, with growing melons, nothing's really perfect. Like I could be doing all the things that I normally do. I just cross my fingers and hope I can produce the melons sometimes. I mean, that's all you can do. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's kind of how I feel too with melons. It's so hit and miss. Yeah. And that's why sometimes I'm like, do I want to grow some this year? Because there have been times where I'll grow a variety and just like you, it's a new variety to me. And then I harvest it and it's super bland. There's no flavor. It's just like a watery mess. The texture is not something I like. And uh, so it's, it is kind of hit and miss. And there's so many varieties out there. And speaking of the watery, I'm just curious, you did mention like at some point you cut off the water um, yes. as it's getting closer to getting ripe. So what's the purpose behind stopping the watering um, the, in the later stages of the development? Yeah. So once that melon, you notice that melon, um, just stop, it stops growing and got to its initial size. You just stop watering because, you know, if you want a sweet melon, you just got to wait for those sugars to develop. You know, if you keep watering something, it's going to dilute it. Right. So, so at some point you just completely stop watering, let those sugars develop. And that's what a melon needs, the sun, the sugars developing, ripening it um, in the process. So, And I think that that's probably where I've gone wrong in past years is not recognizing when to stop with the watering. Yeah. And part of my problem is, is I intermixed my melons into my raised beds where I have other things growing that need water all the time. And it's on a drip system. And so- oh. That was where I was going wrong is, is I was putting it in a place where I had to keep the soil moist because of the things around it. So mm -hmm. I am trying something a little different this year. I am growing my melons in an area that does not have the drip irrigation system. I will hand water. And so that way I can control how much it gets and when I stop it. So let's yeah. see if I'm successful with, uh, those melons now, um, I know you're expanding in, in terms of the varieties that you're uh, growing. So do you have anything new this season that you are going to try in terms of melon varieties? I do. And when you're talking about like growing melons in one area, I do have one area that I test out melons, uh, which is the eight by eight raised bed. And sometimes I grow some of my favorite melons there too, but I grow a lot of melons in eight by eight bed, like raised bed that I made out of, um, I don't know what you call it. I repurpose a lot of stuff. So I just made a bed out of a um, composite, like wood thing. I don't know what you call them, but you'll see it. <laughs> but I grow a lot of melons in that area. Um, the only thing I do put along with those melons, melons is some flowers. So I put some zinnias or um, right now I have uh, painted daisies, which I will keep for pollination, you know, just pollinating that bed. So the new varieties um, I have are, um, I have this royal golden watermelon. 
um, which turns like a golden orange when it's ripe. So you, if you have problems growing melons and um, you don't know how to determine when they're ready, try growing something that will change your color, you know, because it makes it easier. Um, that's why most people like growing cantaloupes. Cantaloupes are pretty easy compared to watermelons, but if you want a watermelon, try growing something that will change a different color when it's ripe. So like the royal, um, you had the mini, the mini yellow, which one? Yeah, I have um, one called a golden midget watermelon. Yeah. Yeah, I grew that one last year. So I'm thinking it probably starts off as a green small melon and possibly as it uh, gets older and matures, then the rind will turn all yellow. Yes. And the vine turns yellow. Yeah. The whole vine turns yellow. So it's really neat. I grew that one last year. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. I have um, that as one of the uh, smaller personal sized and it also kind of meets that um, uh, need of knowing when to harvest it based on the color. So this one is meant to be uh, about three pounds. So if anyone's looking for a mini watermelon variety that will also give you an indicator of ripeness for harvest, it's called a golden midget watermelon. And I picked up this package. I ordered it online through Seed Saver Exchange. Nice. And I, I do have that one too. So the royal golden watermelon falls in that category. It's bigger, but it will turn a different color. I have the orange flesh melon that's more like a honeydew. Um, I'm really excited about that one. And then I have, see, I grow honeydew, but honeydews can be kind of tricky, I think. Um, so I like melons that turn colors to make my life so much easier. Um, so I have the golden honeydew that turns a yellow, which I'm excited about that one too. Um, I also will be growing the Linaolu Sweet Glow, which is a com it's a it's a combination of uh, crimson sweet and orange glow. Orange glow watermelon is my favorite melon. Orange fleshed melon, I think it's absolutely delicious. Um, if someone wants to try that one. And, you know, I will grow my Charentaise, anything that falls under the Charentaise. And this year, I'm going to venture out and do uh, winter melons for better storage. So I'm going to do the Santa Claus melon and the Valencia melon. And those melons, like if you want a melon during like the winter time, those are perfect. Oh, that's interesting. You brought that up last year. I did buy some seeds for a variety called Navajo winter. It's a mm -hmm. type of watermelon. And I bought it really because of the description, um, on the package. And it says that it's crisp, a medium pink to red flesh sweet, but here's the kicker stores for up to four months. And so, um, yeah, I thought this was really interesting. Um, but it, my seeds did not uh, germinate well last year when I tried it. But again, I didn't put a lot of effort into it, kind of threw some seeds out in the garden and just left it there. Um, yeah. But now um, I am, of course, intrigued by the idea of being able to grow something during the summertime, harvest it and have it um, there and ready 
maybe for later on in the year, October, November, December, when all of your warm summer sweet fruit is gone, but here you might have a, a winter, a watermelon that you can cut into. So um, I just, yeah, I, def- I definitely just discovered this last year. Yeah. And, you know, I'm new to that department, the winter melon. So it, it's a, it's going to be an experiment and experiment for me. Like everything is an experiment for me. Like I don't necessarily call myself an expert. I just enjoy growing it. Like <laughs> I think once you enjoy something, it takes all the pressure out of you. You know what I mean? Like all that pressure and stress and you just kind of go with the flow. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Now I want to transition to um, a topic that you brought up earlier and that was um, that you sold a couple of your watermelons last year to some customers. I also know in following, following you on Instagram that you started your journey last year of even selling flowers uh, mm-hmm. that you grow. And so I'm curious to know, like, what has your journey been in terms of just growing things for yourself and your family? Like you said, starting off growing because you were pregnant and you wanted to have things for your, your baby. But then moving on to selling um, at, at, at the local market or so share a little bit about that in case people are interested in maybe selling their things. OK, so my uh, selling journey of market goods started well. I grow a lot like I grow enough for family. I grow enough to share with friends. But then I have extra. So I decided that. I love flowers so much and the whole world needs more flowers and, you know, happiness and something to smile at. So I asked my local feed store manager that I go buy all my feeds from and, you know, any like um, feed supply that I need. I go to him and I asked, would you be interested in me dropping off some flowers, some bouquets for sale? And he's like, sure. Why not? So I brought them in and he's like, Ruth, these are beautiful. They will be sold. I'm like, okay. So the first day I sold, I only bought like, I, I only took like, I think seven bouquets and out of the seven, six sold. And so I asked him, um, do you want me to bring more bouquets later on in the week? And he says, sure, they're awesome. So that started the initial kind of push that I could do this. And then I went down to our local farmer's market. I asked, I was like, um, you think I can sell some bouquets here? Um, and they're like, well, do you grow them? I was like, yes, I do. Um, and that was kind of like the initial thing. I brought my bouquets down and I grow dahlias and, you know, like, like different sunflowers, I'm trying to think of all the flowers I grow. I have a lot. So I brought them down in bouquets and I signed up there. Signed up my membership fee, signed up everything. And then I further researched. I was like, you think I'm allowed to um, sell peppers? I grow peppers and eggplants, but I don't grow just your normal peppers and eggplants. I grow peppers and eggplants from all over the world. And this is where my name change came from, Colorful World Acreage. Because when I think about food, I think about, or produce, I want to introduce people to new things. And that's kind of my goal in the community. Just know that the 
grocery store is not the hearsay in what you can eat and buy. You know, they just sell normal varieties, you know, like a bell pepper where, you know, I grow shishitos, you know, or I grow, I just grow different kinds of peppers. Some peppers you sent to me too. I'm growing those um, sparkle. Violet sparkle? Yeah. I'm still trying to grow them. (laughs) I, I started them later though. But yeah, that's the initial push. And then I continued and I started selling in one, um, my local market that was here. And then, um, then someone asked me if I, if I, um, sold heirloom tomatoes because their market lacked heirloom tomatoes. So I was like, I do. I mean, I only have like the end of the season stuff. I can bring what I have. Um, and she's like, yeah, that'll work. Just, just, um, bring what you have. And I brought like herbs, tomatoes, I I uh, grow different like squashes too, like winter squash. I actually still have a pumpkin um, from last year that I need to prepare somehow or feed it to the chickens. You know, I kind of grow food for them too. She keeps um, asking me if I'm ready for next year, like for this year, 2021. I'm like, I'm still not there yet because of our freeze that we had in February. So I'm still preparing for that. But that's where I went from selling and hopefully you know later on I want to kind of sell more on give me a call I have something ready for you like a box or a bouquet because I'm a mom and my kids are still young so I kind of that's my first priority being a mom so and they're busy kids yes yes and being a mom and being a gardener at the same time is kind of like where you kind of have some quiet time yeah. Unless your kids like to garden with you, then they can join you, which is even more fun. <laughs> you know, surprisingly, my kids really don't. My daughter, she has her own garden, uh, she, which she plants flowers and sweet peppers and cucumbers, you know, and we just prepared the ground for her garden this year. So she's like, I'm going to plant this weekend. So anything I grow in the greenhouse, I let her plant in her little garden space. Oh, that's super fun. So um. I'm curious then taking the idea that you started selling at the farmer's market last year and maybe thinking about growing, uh, I'm sorry, thinking about selling again this year, has that changed what you decided to grow in your garden? Um, so it's ready for market or are you just still again, sticking to the things that you're interested in growing and should you have those extras, that's what will go to market. So does your interest drive what you grow or is the idea of selling drive what you grow at this point? Um, I think my interest, (laughs) you know, and some things I know, like, will sell better, but there's always going to be someone out there looking for shishitos or ahi amarillo, you know what I mean? So I'm not making like, I'm not becoming rich, obviously. (laughs) I'm just growing things to introduce the world to different styles of eggplant, you know, varieties of eggplant, you know. This year, I should, hopefully, if my flea beetles don't eat it, I should have green eggplants. I should have, you know, different ones. And so mainly that introducing people to different kinds of food, because I'm not in it for the money. Like if I was, I mean, that would be like my, I have to do it 
all day, all night kind of deal. But hopefully my produce speaks for itself in terms of flavor and quality, quality and, um, you know, different things. Yeah, I'd say variety. And I mentioned this a lot on my show is the idea that if folks um, are not into gardening, they're not familiar with all the varieties that are out there. They only know what they know about fruit and vegetables because of what they see in the market, which is very limited. So I actually love the idea that you are um, going to continue to grow the things that you love as a gardener. And because those varieties are unique and different, you taking it to the farmer's market introduces people to all these different varieties. And um, then, you know, when you have something new, you look up, well, what do I do with this? What are some recipe ideas? And so it does open up a whole nother world for folks too, through uh, you introducing these items or making them available for purchase. So um, that's why I was just kind of curious what drives somebody to make selections um, in terms of varieties that they grow. And as a home gardener, we grow the things that we like. I was just curious for you, the crossover of starting to sell, if you would still just continue um, with what you enjoy, which that's what it sounds like. Now, um, for those of you who are out there listening, I will be sure to add um, to my show notes for this episode some of the growing tips and even some of the varieties that Ruth and I both mentioned during our show, in case you want to go back and look at that for reference. And so um, I'll have those growing melon tips and information on our website. Um, But I did want to thank Ruth for joining us for this episode today. I did learn um, from you a couple things. And so I hope that I can apply that during this growing season and have even even one melon. I'd be so excited if I can get to one melon. And I will say, if I can get to one melon before the rats do, because just as it's about to get ripe and I'm like, one more day, one more day. Undoubtedly, I go out the next day and there's like a big old hole somewhere on the side of the melon because as it's putting off a scent, like you said, it puts off a scent that others like the insects and the bugs and the other animals can smell well, well before us. Right. Yes. <laughs> so I'm hopeful that I can apply your tips. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, I was a bit nervous. I'm still nervous, but it That's was okay. Really- <laughs> so let me ask you this. Um, how can our listeners connect with you if they have any questions about growing melons or um, ideas on taking certain things to market or just to follow your journey? Uh, where can they connect with you? Well, I only have one uh, social media account because I'm really not a big social media person. But I do love taking pictures of my gardening journey. So, um, and just giving out tips, you know, um, it would be at Colorful World Acreage um, yes. on Instagram. So. Yeah. And she did mention she changed her name. So when I first started following Ruth a few years ago, her account was called the country Chica. And then um, last year she switched the name over as she was starting to begin her journey with selling her products. Um, so I, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And for all of you homesteaders that are out there, thank you for joining us for today's episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at TLC mini farm or visit our website at tlcminifarm.com. Uh, do you have a topic that you would like us to cover in a future episode? 
If so, you can contact us on Instagram or through our website. I'd love to hear your ideas and suggestions. Until next time, happy homesteading, everyone.